there is a gigantic but tiny difference between studying leadership and leading. Gigantic because learning about leadership is fun and will even aid in your growth, but it doesn't make you a leader. It doesn't mean you're a leader any more than reading a book about beauty pageants would make you Miss America. So what's the tiny difference? Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast, where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and today's episode is showcasing what many believe to be impossible, effective leadership in politics. Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes is my guest today and the current Lieutenant Governor for the great state of Wisconsin. I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation, but a word of advice before we jump in. Now, you're going to need to do some work. Set your political alignment aside for 43 minutes or so. It's not easy for some of us. Here's a practical tip. If you find yourself saying, yeah, but, don't finish that sentence. Now, if you're willing to do that and listen with purpose, I promise you'll not only respect the man, but you'll also gain several practical pieces of application by the end of this episode. And I'm betting that you'll agree with the tiny difference that I lay out in the outro. Okay, so what does a Lieutenant Governor do? Very glad you asked. So let's jump into Lieutenant Governor Barnes, breaking down what his role in office entails. It's one of those sort of, in some ways, obscure roles where it's not the position that's always in the public eye. It's not what people immediately think about when they associate uh, different issues of, or different areas of concern. Prior to the pandemic, being in the office lieutenant governor was an experience like I've never had before. Now, when we were campaigning, we had a chance to get all across the state and talk to so many people, and it felt like we were just always in overdrive. And after we took office, it's like we took overdrive even further. It was um, it was amazing the things that we've been able to do, the places we've been able to visit, and the people we've been able to have conversations with. And so I um, I'm very proud and honored to serve in this role. Being lieutenant governor has just been an incredibly unique opportunity. I served in the legislature uh, previously, uh, but I ran for lieutenant governor because I felt that there was a need for us to uh, expand opportunity across the state of Wisconsin. And we needed to lead on some really critical issues. I think about my own personal experiences. And I think about the experiences of people that are close to me uh, that help inform my decision making. But things changed around this time last year. Things changed drastically. Went from a uh, taking a very hands-on approach to governing to uh, taking a very virtual approach to it because things still were going on. And we had to be able to adapt to changes as circumstances. If you could help us with a few foundational things, because uh, you touched on a little bit with with the position that you're in, and and I think the average day, what that looks like might help paint a picture for people. So, what does the average day look like? Uh, you can go pre or, or current situation, you know, pre COVID or whatever. Um, what does it look like for the lieutenant governor? And ultimately, what are some of the goals of the position? Yeah, thanks for that. If I were to paint a picture, it would be an abstract painting. First of all, (laughs) sounds uh, good. That's fair. That's fair. um, But like I said before, uh, we took a very hands on approach. That meant showing up to places as much as we as much as we were able to. 
uh, prior to the pandemic. And the role of lieutenant governor, I, I liken it to the role of vice president to the president. Uh, very similar in function. You serve as a spokesperson at times uh, for the administration. And you're basically there just to assist the governor. And what your roles and responsibilities end up becoming uh, depend on your relationship with the governor. And I'm fortunate to have a very solid uh, personal and professional uh, relationship with Governor Evers. Uh, we did know each other uh, prior to us becoming running mates. And I'll say here, um, there's a different way that lieutenant governors are elected across the country. Uh, Wisconsin, we are one of six states that do this hybrid system. So you'll have about half the states that you automatically are on the ticket uh, right away. The governor or the candidate for governor will pick their running mate uh, right out of the gate. And some states, the governor and lieutenant governor run it completely independent of each other. And you could potentially have scenarios where you have a Democrat serving as governor and a Republican lieutenant governor. Uh, but in Wisconsin, you run completely independently, uh, independent of each other in the primary. Then on the general, you are a ticket. Uh, you can't have one without the other. And so I think about the responsibilities uh, that that brings because it is a it is a different way. You can have completely different personalities serving uh, together. But I think we complement each other. I think we both bring different experiences in life. Uh, but we share values, and that helps us. And the governor came to me and asked what issues were important? What did I want to work on as lieutenant governor, as opposed to issuing some sort of edict and saying, this is what you must work on. Uh, and I chose issues that centered around equity and sustainability. And I've been able to serve as chair of the governor's task force on climate change while sitting on another, a number of other councils and task forces, the criminal justice coordinating council, the missing and murdered indigenous women's task force, the health equity council, and the uh, and an equity council that was established as well. And with that being said, there's no average day. Um, okay. Every day was completely different, especially in our first term. I told people it was almost like getting to go on a field trip every week because we were going to so many different places. We hit all 72 counties in our first year, which was very important to us. That meant six counties every month on average. And wow. we did that intentionally because we want to be a 72 county administration. We do not want to leave people behind. We want everyone to feel like they are represented uh, by this administration. So every day was different. Uh, now days are still different, but I'm usually sitting in the same exact place all day. What about after work? Is there an after work for you? <laughs> Well, not as much now. It's not too much of an after work for anybody, at least yeah. for, the, for, for the last year. Um, so what is after work for me? I do you know, try to find time to stay current, uh, whether it's reading books or, or watching TV. Um, over the last year, I just started cooking up a storm. I fell in love with cooking. I used to cook you know, whenever I, I had a chance to. And uh, over the last year, I've fallen in love with cooking, and I have sort of distanced myself from cooking because I got worn <laughs> out completely. There's just too many things to try. Um, but that's 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 what debrief uh, debriefing. That's what it looks like for me. I want to jump into the progression into politics because um, I I believe that people get into leadership positions. Uh, for various reasons, but I don't think anybody drifts into excellence. And 
from what I see from my limited viewpoint, you are doing some work excellently. So talk a bit about your progression into politics and how did you end up where you are right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's one of my favorite stories to tell, I guess. I, I come from a, a middle-income family. Uh, both my parents were very active union members. Uh, my mother, her activities slowed down a little bit. My dad is as active as he's ever been in his union, even as a retiree. My mother, both my parents are retired now. My mom is somewhat taking her retirement seriously. <laughs> my dad is just finding the next thing to get involved in. That was sort of the catalyst for me. Uh, I didn't have the privilege of being born into a wealthy family or a politically connected family, um, but I did have a desire to want to see things improve. And I think about uh, different circumstances in life, different situations that I have either dealt with or have experienced or witnessed people close to me experience. People who have been, in some instances, still dealing with addiction, people who have uh, been incarcerated. I get so many calls from friends who are who are coming out who had no idea what I was up to. Mm-hmm. And um, I think about those stories. I mean, these aren't these aren't like violent people we're talking about. These are people who got wrapped up in unfortunate circumstances, um, and now their lives are forever altered because of it. But it's always been important to me to make sure. And not just because they're my friends, but because they are humans, that they get the chance that they deserve. Uh, they have paid a debt to society, and I think it's important uh, that society offers them another opportunity to do the right thing. And 2004 is when I heard Barack Obama's historic DNC speech, the speech that everybody said made him president, which is probably true. And on that stage on television, I saw something reflected that I had not seen before, something that inspired me, something that uh, just felt like a different vision for the United States of America and something I wanted to be a part of. I just didn't know how. Ended up working as a field organizer on a congressional race in Louisiana, and that's what started this track professionally. That was fall of 2008. And I came back home in January 2009, had some really wild ups and downs uh, during that time when I first got back to Milwaukee, but ultimately working as an organizer for uh, an interfaith organization, Milwaukee Inner City Congregation's Ally for Hope, or MICA for short. And we we organized around issues of economic justice, uh, treatment instead of prison, immigration reform, and a number of other policies to help move communities forward especially communities that have been marginalized, the most challenged communities. And it was doing that work where I felt like, well, in order for us to get a better response, because most of us, if not all of us, didn't feel like we were getting everything uh, we should have been getting. And I don't mean us as individuals, I mean as communities. Mm -hmm. And there was still so much work to be done and not getting the response that we deserve from our leadership. I felt like, well, I got options here. I can either keep on banging my head against the wall or I can try to do it myself. And this was a time where tensions were high. People were getting really active. This was a few years after Barack Obama's first election. And I decided to run for the state assembly. And I had previously worked in Tom Barrett's office. 
and I, I, I tell people too about that experience. You know, whenever anybody asks me what did I do in Tom Barrett's office, I was the receptionist. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I answered the phone of the first point of contact, and that was probably one of the most beneficial experiences for me because I really learned what the breadth of uh, of being in leadership and being in elected office uh, really really meant. You get calls about anything calls that didn't even have anything to do with city government, but you had to figure out answers for people or figure out how to direct people or most importantly, how to help people. And um, we ran in 2012. I say we, because I didn't do any of this on my own. It took a whole lot of people to help get me where I am. And we won. We, we won the election. Four years later, I tried to run for state Senate and we lost. <laughs> um, I lost. It was a very, it was a very tough race. It was a wake up call for me. You know, I felt that we were doing the right thing. I was passionate about the issues that I ran on, and for the reasons why I decided to uh, take that leap. And I don't have any regrets in the immediate time following that election. For at least the next couple months, at least the next three months, I had a lot of regrets at that point. But looking <laughs> back, <laughs> but looking back, uh, it was the thing that I that I should have done. I, I still feel that way. Uh, I don't think that I would have become lieutenant governor if I didn't lose that state senate race, as wild as it sounds. Mm -hmm. uh, but we were able to still build something that was meaningful. We were still able to build something that was, uh, that was key to the next go. And yeah. that's what helped. That's what propelled me and to be able to run a successful campaign for lieutenant governor. There's a lot of pieces there. Picking up on what you said towards the end about losing and that potentially propelling you into to winning, I can see that. I've never run for political office, but I can see that uh, replicated in when I look back at certain uh, failures that turn into successes that for myself, I think I learn more from stumbling forward than I do from hitting a home run the first time. And And I think people are drawn to that. So I don't know how that affects uh, voters and that kind of thing. But when vo people are vulnerable enough to look loss in the face and keep going, um, that says something about your backbone and your resolve. And it tests to see if you actually want to be in this thing, whether it's political office or a leadership role uh, or starting a nonprofit. So this next question is, direct, but I, I'm really excited to hear your response to it. So if you wouldn't mind hit us, hitting us with it, what is excellence in leadership? And then practically, based on what you do professionally, what does it look like in politics to lead with excellence in leadership? Oh, this is good. This is a good one. And if I can just <laughs> piggyback off the last thing too, it's just the, you know, a lot of, a lot of times people can get discouraged and it's easy to get discouraged. We're human, right? We have we have a certain amount of emotion and after after a loss, after any form of devastation, sometimes you just don't want to deal with things anymore. And that's completely natural and that's okay. And I had to answer that question myself. I had to think about were these issues important enough to me uh, that I would get out there and risk it again? And the answer was absolutely yes. To answer this with the excellence in leadership and what does it look like practically, I think uh, a big part of it is experience. And I don't necessarily mean five to 10 years on a job, not that sort of experience. Experience, especially in government, uh, I, I think it should be about what a person actually 
understands about the world because for the most part you know you have, you have upper class you have you know, business class and people who pretty much have it figured out and regardless of what situations uh, may arise we're, we'll be okay and you have a very volatile middle class we've lost uh, a lot of we've lost a lot of middle class globally over the last year and poverty has increased the question then becomes well what do we do to make communities whole again and there are a lot of people who are serving in office who've never had to experience any sort of hardship and i think about uh, let's say 2010 I, I, I mentioned i hinted a little bit about ups and downs kind of back to milwaukee and I remember in 2010, I was working for the Milwaukee Area Workforce Investment Board, and there came a point where I ended up getting uh, my hours reduced from 40 to 29. I was no longer eligible for health insurance or any other perks that came along with uh, full-time employment, and this was no fault of my own. It wasn't because I was uh, a, a bad employee or anything. It's just That's just the way things happen. And after that, having to manage a budget that was significantly uh, smaller than it was the month before, uh, I ended up just getting laid off. And my job was to help people find jobs at the Milwaukee Area Workforce Investment Board, which is just a wild bit of irony, uh, getting laid off from that type of role. But it, it helped me uh, learn firsthand. I talked about growing up in a middle-income household. Uh, was not privilege by any means, but did experience a bit of privilege relative to many people that I was around. And I recognize that. And I think it's important for leaders to recognize the privilege that they do have. And being uh, in the household, I, we didn't have to worry about food being on the table. We didn't have to worry about where we were going to live the next month. I was fortunate in that regard. Uh, but then came this economic uncertainty for the first time in my life as an adult. Now, fortunately, I was in my early 20s, so I was able to adapt. Uh, but it helped me think about things, uh, especially before going into public office. It helped me understand the struggles that so many people in this state and so many people across the country continue to grapple with. And during this pandemic, I think that it has been highlighted, but there are still many folks who are making decisions uh, for people who are down on hard times without ever having had that experience, without knowing what it's actually like to have to go file for unemployment, to have to apply for energy assistance, to have to uh, apply for food stamps or whatever other assistance just to be able to make it to the next day to try to then improve your own life, right? And when I think about excellence and leadership, it is being able to resonate with the people who need your help the most uh, when it comes to leadership in government. Uh, it matters that you've had experience with diverse communities because the same people continue to get ahead in our society because the same people have been making the rules. The same people have been in charge and these same people know the same people. And that's why only a small percentage of our population continues to see so much of the benefit uh, of government. So we have to shift that paradigm. We have to include people uh, in the conversation who haven't traditionally been a part of conversation. 
especially the conversations that impact their lives. I, I try to practice what I preach as much as humanly possible. You know, when we have conversations about uh, incarceration or justice reform, I want to make sure that we have a, a formerly incarcerated person join that conversation. If we're going to talk about poverty, I want to ask somebody who's experienced poverty in, uh, in, in recent terms to be a part of that conversation as well, because this is how we truly uh, get to the root and get to the core of what we're trying to deal with. And I, I think that excellence and leadership recognizes that. And it's also recognizing that as an individual, I don't have all the answers, but it's important how we get to that answer. So the, so extracting from that, uh, an empathetic position that's fueled by the experiences that you've had as you move into positions of influence and remembering that, staying tied to that, not, not that your financial situation has stayed exactly the same as it did back in your early twenties, but that you're not, it's not lost on you as you keep increasing in influence, which is, which is great, which is what people want in their political leaders. Uh, the people in office aren't making decisions based on their current state, but that the state of the people that they represent. So it's good. It makes sense. It's reassuring. And it's, it's exciting to hear you say that. Uh, so based on the, where we've gone so far, who or what has influenced your view on leadership the most and, and two-parter, why are they, or is that thing so impactful to you? I guess the easy answer for me is to take this back to Barack Obama, someone who was just completely unknown, you know, in 2004, and then four years later, becoming the party's nominee for president and the president-elect. Uh, it's a wild ride. Uh, but when it comes to leadership, I think that uh, Barack Obama was probably one of the most thoughtful leaders, uh, thoughtful to a fault, <laughs> where sometimes I feel like I even got frustrated. Uh, at the pace that things were going, but I don't think I could ever say that he was a person that didn't take the time to truly examine uh, what was going on. And in the face of a lot of hardship and also believing uh, in the best about people, you know, and it's difficult to do that in this field. It's not easy at all, especially when you get let down uh, by so many people so many times, the same people so many times. Um, and the way that he was able to incorporate his background as an organizer to get him elected and also uh, to help govern is something that uh, I think that we can all take a lesson from. And was it perfect by any means? No. Uh, but I certainly think that he created a, a certain foundation uh, that we'll be looking to for, for generations. I think he... He, he totally rewrote the playbook and also gave people, um, not to be cliche about it, but he, he legitimately uh, gave people hope that they belong, that there was an opportunity for them if they want to pursue uh, a career in politics, a path in politics, that they could do it regardless of where they were from, regardless of their family's background or family situation. Um, and that's meaningful. Uh, and that's probably the most influential uh influential leader, in my opinion. So, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, but given your position in government and as I've done research, being the first African-American lieutenant governor in Wisconsin, I would assume there's a unique pressure associated to your role. 
And you, you maybe had alluded to this in the, in the last answer of, of uh, believing the best in people and, and being let down and things like that. But how do you navigate the rhythm of public and private life and not give in to the pressure or internet trolls for that matter? Because I've done some research and there's, you've got a target. So, so how do you navigate that? Definitely have some internet trolls. Um, <laughs> I'll start from the back. And like with the internet trolls, they are the same trolls. And I try to remind myself they don't have a profile picture. <laughs> if they don't, if they if 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 they are afraid to identify themselves, then they are not in a righteous fight. So that's what I try to remind myself every time. Uh, but there is certainly a unique pressure being associated uh, with being in this role, and I think that it speaks to historical um, misses from a lot of our leaders. Um, I, I find, you know, people will say, oh yeah, well, you know, nobody was talking about these issues prior to you coming along, or I had a conversation with someone uh, not too long ago who's in the environmental space, and she mentioned that, you know, I don't know who would be talking about uh, the things that you're talking about the way that you're talking about them. And I think about the fact that we are where we are because people who don't have those experiences choose not to talk about them or choose not to engage in issues that uh, they don't think are political winners or issues that they don't have any experience with. And when anything dealing with race comes up, there's an expectation uh, that I show up and I, I say something. And much of that is because of the work that I did prior to elected office. And I, I think about that. It's like, well, why isn't everyone who's in elected office expected uh, to be able to have an answer or have a solution? When it comes to issues that impact rural Wisconsin, if I don't have an answer to that, nobody's going to take me seriously. Like if I can't tell you about the difference between family farms and, and large concentrated animal feeding operations or the impact of each one of those, people are going to take me serious as a statewide leader in Wisconsin. Yet, if a person has no answer uh, for questions about race, race relations, or inequality, they just get a pass. And nobody seems to want to take that stuff seriously or care enough to give those issues the attention uh, that they deserve. So yes, there's absolutely uh, a, a different pressure. And I think about other issues that you know are impacting people in the state and the country. Issues around immigration. I don't come from an immigrant family, um, but it's an important issue. So when it comes up, I'm going to have an opinion about it. I am going to be there to talk about it because this is all a part of a uh, a, a much larger picture. And you know, some people are going to choose which which part of that picture they want to. They want to fill in the lines or, or, or paint a little bit. But that's, that's just long been the problem, that some things just get swept under the rug while others, uh, while others get full attention. You know, the people who need the least help get the most attention, it feels like, too many times. And that's something we have to flip upside down. I'm loving this conversation. Um, what's been one of the most surprising lessons that you've learned since taking office? Oh boy, <laughs> I think you may, you may have stumped me with this one. 
I take that as a compliment. Yeah, you should you should absolutely take that as a compliment. I did it. I did my research, and <laughs> and and Nicole, who edits this, uh, she'll be listening back, and we can edit this part down. Take no, no, let's not edit it. Let's keep this as real as possible. Okay, all <laughs> this right. Is, this is this is good. This is good. I like I like I like being on my toes this way. Um, I, I would just say I guess I can even go back to the last part of the conversation. Like there are different expectations uh, for for different people, and a lot of times. You know, so many people can just show up uh, for the first time uh, because they weren't expected to show up at all and get a whole bunch of credit <laughs> uh, just because they finally decided that this is the time to, to, to come out. And when there are people who've actually been, you know, you become a fixture in this work, people don't necessarily give you as much. And it's not about getting the credit by any means uh it is it it is about just expectations and how those expectations just are not uniform and i think that's probably one of the biggest biggest uh surprising lessons i won't uh i won't put words in your mouth uh but it reminds me of a statement i've heard from one of my coworkers, and uh, when we're you know in jest talking about whatever but the dichotomy of of people's um judgment on things. And he'll say, well, that's the thing with standards. Some people just have multiple standards or double standards. I mean, there's, there's just like a lot of privilege out there. You know, there's a, there's a whole lot of privilege where people just sort of expect to be, you know, exalted or people just expect some sort of uh, credit for doing the absolute least. And it's, it's just, it's beyond me, right? Like it, it's, it's beyond me, uh, especially as, as deep as the issues are, uh, a lot of times I, I see too many people in this space do a thing to check a box, uh, but won't necessarily engage in the real work. They'll do something because it, it's a good PR move or it might even be financially beneficial, but as far as selflessly engaging in, altruistic way too often there's just a there there's an ulterior motive there's something else that people are looking for they'll do it for that political capital for the political gain that they uh stand to see um it's very frustrating uh but just given the nature of politics and the way that you gain entry into this space that is what people do and we've allowed it for too long i'd like to dig in a little bit more to the why behind the what and the how of your role. Um, you're, you're young and talented and driven and focused. You could do 10,000 other things. So remind us, what is your why for voluntarily putting yourself in the middle of such a volatile line of work? Another great question. And I guess I can answer simply by saying things are bad. These systems are broken. And government, politics, like I said, has typically not uh, lent itself to a wide range of people. By no means do I come from the worst of circumstances, but I understand the experiences because I've been that close to it. I think about who's going to carry the stories of, of people who had tremendous struggle, who's going to carry the stories uh, of people who never really had a chance, and not that I can do it all on my own because I certainly can't, but if I can be one voice to help that process, to help put us 
on that path, I, w- I want in, right? Like I've seen too many things. I've seen, uh, I've seen some of the the best uh, that this nation, that this state has had to offer uh, to people. I've seen some of the absolute worst, and the gulf between the best and the worst is just out of control. It is, it is unjust. It is not righteous, and we gotta do, we gotta do something to fix it. And that means having people making decisions or being a part of the conversations uh, who aren't your typical players, who aren't uh, the most well-connected, who aren't the, the, the most wealthy. You know, I still feel like, uh, you know, another surprising part now that I'm opening this box, uh, sometimes you feel like you, I have to prove myself more than people who haven't done anything to prove themselves. <laughs> you know, and I, and I think that's, that, that comes as a result of a person who fits my profile having not been in this position before. They'll think whatever they want to think right away. And at the same time, uh, the expectation, it, it just, it gets, like it, it, it increases in many ways. And I, 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 that's the one thing I really uh, don't understand. It's just like, you got to go above and beyond. You got to work twice as hard to get half as far. Uh, but it's a challenge that I take on because there's so many young people out there and I tell them that this is something that they can do and I mean it when I say it I just have to prove it and so that's probably the biggest reason why I why, why I stay involved in this why why I do this work uh, it's for the next generation it's for the young people growing up in situations where they've always been told that they can't uh, whether it's explicit or whether it's implied and We've got to make sure that we change the face of government, we have to change the face of politics so that it is more reflective of communities all across the state and all across the country. Well, that is a strong why and a a great answer. Um, Lieutenant Governor Barnes, I have loved this conversation. Uh, If you would, please close out this episode, sir. Uh, You know, what encouragement do you want to leave our listeners with? I would like to just remind people that Better is truly possible, but it's only possible if we make it happen. We have to give everything that we can and everything that we do uh, to make sure that we are truly being represented, to make sure that our voices uh, are are reflected, making sure that our our issues are amplified. Um, Whether you're working class, whether you're a person who's recently out of work, a person who lacks access to health care, a person who doesn't have access to clean and safe drinking water, even in a developed nation, right? I think that I want people to know that your voice matters. If you've dealt with trauma, if you've dealt with some of the worst instances in our society, uh, your voices need it more than ever. Uh, So I want to encourage people who haven't thought about public service, people who haven't thought about getting involved in some sort of way. And running for office isn't for everybody. I truly understand that. Uh, But there's still so many other ways to get involved. Uh, to make your voice heard and to help uh, amplify the voice of someone else and also help improve the lives of other people who you may not ever meet. Well, that that is a great way to end this episode. Thank you again for the time. Uh, and, and more than that, and I do not say this uh, lightheartedly, thank you for living it out. Um, it's one thing to say it. It's a whole other thing to do it. Um, I know you said that there's a tremendous weight on your shoulders and that you have to keep proving it, uh, but I'm grateful for your example. So thank you for the time and also for living this thing out. I really appreciate you 
and thank you for having me. And I we may have to do a follow up one day. All right, man, I'm down. I'll schedule it. I'll schedule <laughs> it for sure. Thanks a lot. All right, thank you. Okay, so takeaway and action item. I've got two for each. First of all, the takeaways. I said in the intro, there's a gigantic but tiny difference between studying leadership and leading, but I never closed the story loop. So here's the tiny difference, living it out. You can have a bookshelf or a head full of knowledge. Ultimately, it doesn't matter if you don't live it out. Taking the words from Lieutenant Governor Barnes, I can tell people they can do it, but I have to prove it. Number two, there may not be many politicians who are humble and approachable, but there's at least one. I mean, he asked me to leave it unedited. So awesome. Okay, so action items. Two things. First, be about it. Don't just quote books you read or pity people. Get in relationship with people. Being a change agent is messy. Get a little dirt under your fingernails and and who knows, maybe run for office someday. Second, send this episode to someone. Now, I don't pretend to think that all people love spending free time listening to podcasts, but there's something sweet and expanding in this one. If you thought of a colleague or a friend or a relative that could benefit from this episode, send it to them. Now, if you liked what you heard, I have a simple ask. Give us a written review in whatever platform you're using right now. We read all of them, and it helps us reach more folks like you. And if you do end up sending this episode to somebody, most times it's as simple as clicking the three dots in your phone or copying and pasting the web address if you're on your computer and then send it to your friend or relative or colleague. Now, we have dozens of conversations that will aid in your growth as a leader. Click subscribe in whatever platform you're using and you'll have access to all of the episodes just like magic. Now, I can't wait to be with you again soon, but until then, from all of us here at CCB Technology, thanks for listening.